Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 133, The Royale. All right, guys and gals, it's time to get down to business. What sort of business are you getting down to? What? The Business of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, but you can call me Tennessee for the duration of this episode. And I'm John Champion, but you can call me John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we dig deeply into a singular episode of Star Trek to see what makes it tick and whether or not it can stand the test of time. Today, we're looking at the Royale. Or should I say we're checking into the Royale? Ah, yes, you you may well say that. I I feel weird, by the way. I grew up in the South. We talk about this plenty of times. Mm -hmm. I'm never Mm -hmm. confident in my Southern accent. Yeah, well, Ken, it's good to have you back and, <laughs> Thank you very uh, much. and not Tennessee for the whole episode. Oh, you can call me Tennessee if you want to. I mean, it's still applicable. Hey, yeah. I know, uh, you know, T is for Texas, who is a character mm-hmm. in this show. T is also for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And T is for trivia, which mm. we're going to get to in a moment. But yeah. before we do, I want to let people know if they want to leave a message for someone at the Royale, if they have something they'd like to leave at the front desk, there are a few ways they can do that. Uh, Mission Log Pod is one way to do that in a bunch of places. That's on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That is our handle in all of those places, Mission Log Pod. People, of course, can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, and, of course, a place to leave comments as well is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember... Any place you leave them, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Kind of it's worth pointing out that if you do call that number, 323-522-5641, uh, that does, in fact, not connect you to room service. Yeah. However, uh, tipping is encouraged. Actually, let me – so it, you say – say that again. It, it, it does what? It, it does not connect you to room service. We will not actually bring you food to your home if you're listening to the podcast. No. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, I think, maybe my favorite line in the episode. It's not a bad line. It's not a bad line. But no. there's actually, there, I, I think there is fun to be had when checking into the Royale. But we'll get to that mm-hmm. by and by. In the meantime, tease for that third thing. It's John Champion's Trivia. All right. Today's episode was directed by Cliff Bull, who we've seen on a number of occasions here. Now, it was written by our old friend Keith Mills. Uh, and I say old friend, and you're going, I don't know Keith Mills. Well, that's actually Tracy Torme. Now, he was very unhappy with the changes made to his original script, most of them made by Maurice Hurley. It came as a surprise to him, and he felt uh, removed a lot of the more surreal experience of the story. We'll talk more about the specifics a little later. Now, he actually pitched the idea during season one. Uh, back then, it was called The Blue Moon Hotel, and the story was... Well, it was so well-liked that he was given a staff job. And in retrospect, it's kind of strange because most people have said that they liked the original better, including director Cliff Bull. Now, the one piece of trivia that everybody latched onto and sent in. uh, So, Ken, since you mentioned that we will mention you or mention names uh, on the air. Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of those times that the comments came in and uh, we will mention them. So the one thing is the temperature of the planet. It is remarked that it is negative 291 degrees Celsius, and that is below absolute zero. That can't happen. So thanks to uh, Bob and Alan on Twitter, plus uh, Dave and many more via email for uh, making my job very easy. Um, In a similar vein, the age of the planet is older than the age of the universe, and you see that on the bridge monitor with details on the planet. Other things like a day is 15.3 hours, a year is 832 days. And uh, and finally, uh, Fermat's theorem. Uh, Pierre de Fermat was born in the early 1600s, died in 1665. He came up with his unsolvable theorem in 1637, but he didn't leave behind his own answer. Now, in 1994, it was finally solved by British mathematician Andrew Wiles. He had thought about it all his life, and it took him more than six years of dedicated research to come up with his proof. 
Wow. Wait, uh, wait so yeah. it's actually been solved now? It has. Oh, it man. has. I'm glad I didn't um, know that before we started watching. Otherwise, I'd be like, well, now I'm like what I'm going to be like next time I watch it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Now, uh, okay, it's one of those things where, yeah, we don't jump the timeline. They They actually do try to retcon this in a future Star Trek. Um and to say that maybe this was one of many many uh, uh, ways to solve that theorem. So um, they actually do realize that it was solved after that episode of Next Gen was recorded. So how do you just squeeze in a little, just a little bit of an answer to say, well, Picard could have been referring to one, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. No. No. <laughs> um, Ken, it was a dark and stormy night. I've heard that. Yeah, that's kind of shorthand for really bad writing. Um, that line was first used in 1830 to open the novel Paul Clifford by Edward Bullier Lighton. Now, since 1982, San Jose State University has sponsored a bad writing contest, the Bulwer Lighton Fiction Contest, based around the phrase. And it publishes uh, sort of the best of the worst or the worst of the best in a book. So you can check that out if you like other uh, purple prose. Is that not also um, the, the, the line with which Snoopy begins all of his writing? I think you're right. Yeah, yes. I'm pretty it sure absolutely it absolutely is. is. Yes. Yeah. So um, appropriated by Charles Schultz uh, to show off bad writing. Now, uh, Noble Willingham. That's not fair. Uh, He's a dog, man. Come on. Well, okay. <laughs> so it's good for a dog. It's okay. great for a dog. Are you kidding me? If I can get my dog to write something that good, I'd never work again. All right. We're, we're grading on a curve. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> Noble Willingham guest stars as Texas. And uh, he was already a well-known character actor at the time having appeared in uh, just about every major TV show of the 1970s. He later was a regular on Walker, Texas Ranger, as the character C.D. Parker. And uh, interestingly, he was an economics professor before going into acting. Then he took a break from his acting career to run for Congress. He lost. Um, Sam Anderson, very recognizable as well. He played the assistant manager of the Hotel Royale. His biggest credit may be in the movie Forrest Gump, in which he played the principal when we meet young Forrest. Uh, but he's another guy who just shows up on almost every TV show from the 90s and 2000s and continues to work all the time as of our recording. He was a regular on Perfect Strangers. You can find him on episodes of X-Files and Picket Fences, Lost, ER, all kinds of other shows. Uh, Jill Jacobson, who plays Vanessa in this episode, she will show up again on Deep Space Nine. And uh, Greg Breecroft uh, didn't work much more as an actor uh, around the time of Next Gen. He was the guy playing Mickey D. And uh, most of his other credits were soap operas. It was a dark and stormy night, the kind of night without light, and with storms. On one part of the planet, Ken sat twiddling his thumbs, while from another part of the planet, John recapped the episode. Prologue. The Enterprise would have passed up this nasty, freezing little uncharted planet with ammonia tornadoes if a Klingon vessel hadn't said, hey, something weird there, you might want to check it out. Picard is hard at work contemplating a centuries-old math problem, Fermat's last theorem. Riker interrupts him about that weird thing they should investigate, so they do, and it is incredibly weird. There's debris in the orbit of the planet, and when a chunk of it is beamed aboard, it is a slice of a spacecraft emblazoned with a NASA logo and an American flag. Act 1. That piece of debris they picked up is a chunk of a NASA spacecraft launched sometime in the mid-21st century. We're taking bets now on when that will be. About that time, another oddity pops up. There's a building in the middle of this violent, frozen wasteland on the planet below. The building actually seems to be hospitable to human life, and a small away team of Riker, Data, and Worf beam down. What they find is an empty black space, but with an old-style revolving door. They walk through to find a casino. 
It's most definitely a 20th century looking casino full of 20th century type humans playing games of chance. Just to make it more complicated, the away team can't contact the ship, and the Enterprise can't seem to get a lock on them either. On their own, the three walk around to try to get some answers. At the front desk, they are greeted by the assistant manager. He's polite enough, though short on answers. He gives them each a room key, but the bellboy interrupts, all worked up about this dame and some bad-sounding character named Mickey D. Although the casino of this Hotel Royale is full of people, Data makes an interesting discovery. None of these people are actually emitting any life signs. Act 2. Back on the ship, well, there's not that much to report from the Enterprise. They can't reestablish communication with the away team, but Deanna says she can feel Riker's emotional state. He's not in danger, just amused. Data is trying to learn what he can about these non-human, non-machine beings all around him in the casino. He sits down at a table with Texas, a boisterous card player for a game of blackjack. Data picks it up right away. At this rate, he will be unbeatable. Back on the Enterprise? Eh, same old. Riker's got a new plan. They will just walk out the door, that revolving door from the beginning. No luck. Like a scene out of a bad early comedy, the away team just keeps getting stuck in a loop and ending up back in the casino. No one in there is much help. Literally no one will answer questions about where they are, and Worf's attempt at blasting out with a phaser amounts to nothing. It really looks like they're trapped. Act 3, back on the Enterprise... Ah, never mind. Riker is more serious about finding a way out, his curiosity giving way to frustration and determination. In another area, the bellboy we met earlier is tucking a gun in his belt when the assistant manager catches him. It's dame problems again, and the bellboy is going to rub out Mickey D. When the assistant manager walks away, Riker catches him and demands answers. Yeah, that's not going to happen now either. As luck would have it, whatever they were doing on the Enterprise has worked, and communications are now back online. Picard asks Riker what's up, and he lets the captain know that they are trapped. Too bad for now, they'll just have to keep working on a solution. Data chimes in with some more interesting news. He has found traces of human DNA above where they are now. An elevator ride away, the away team find themselves at the door of a hotel room. It's pleasant in an early 80s resort kind of way. Muted tropical tones, soft lighting, and a corpse in the bed. A, a really old corpse, like a few hundred years old. In the closet, Worf pulls out a spacesuit. It's American, from the same time period as the space debris they found earlier. The suit belonged to Colonel S. Ritchie, and once communications are back again, Riker asks Picard for a scan of who that might be. In the nightstand drawer, Worf finds something left behind by the Gideons. No, wait, it's a book, but a different book. Hotel Royale. Data examines it, a pulp novel about gangsters in a casino. Kind of a junk book. Picard has some news for Riker, too. Colonel Ritchie, whose remains the away team found, was an astronaut who left Earth on July 23rd, 2037. In case we were all having trouble putting two and two together, Ritchie left behind a single diary entry after 38 years. His ship was infected by aliens who killed the rest of his crew. With only the Hotel Royale novel on board to go by, they created this facsimile hotel for Ritchie to live out his life. Sure, nice gesture and all, but he's just counting the moments until death releases him. Act 4. Now we've got some great background information, but really little of use to go on for getting the away team out of there. If the Enterprise tried to cut through the barrier around the hotel, it would probably end up killing Riker and his crewmates. Let's try for plan B instead. Picard and Troy set about reading Hotel Royale to see if any clues in the text might help Riker and the others find a way out. In the casino, Data is getting nowhere talking to Texas at the blackjack table. His advice goes unheeded by the woman Texas trying to impress, and she loses almost everything. Before Riker can get the hotel assistant manager's attention, the bellboy prepares himself for the entrance of Mickey D. In walks a slick gangster in a white suit. The bellboy tries his best to act tough, but Mickey D. says the dame is his. To settle it like men, they head outside. But before the bellboy can make it out, Mickey D shoots him in the back. All of this played out exactly as it does in the book. So Riker has an idea. Since Mickey D just left as it goes in the novel, maybe there's a way out. 
He asked Picard what happens next. A group of foreign investors buy the place and then leave. Maybe this is the way out. Act 5. A lot can happen during a commercial break. You could go for a snack, or if you're like Data, you could become an expert on playing at the craps table. He knows the game inside and out, and even the matter of some improperly balanced dice is no impediment to his skills. Data fixes the problem and then, well, relishes in the fact that he can play to win, and he wins big. The chips keep coming, and the away team are up millions of dollars. Picard is listening in and warns him to stay true to the novel. The purchase price of the hotel was $12.5 million. The only other detail is that the foreign investors were generous. So Riker is. While Data is playing conservatively, Riker goes for broke. Well, he knows they're going to win. He bets big. And with their earnings, he buys the hotel. The rest of the money is to be spread around for the other guests. By playing along with the novel, he was right. Riker, Data, and Worf walk right out the door that first brought them there, and they are clear to be beamed back aboard the Enterprise. In Picard's ready room, there are still a number of things that don't add up. How Colonel Ritchie got this far away from Earth, what was the intent of the aliens? It's a puzzle they may never solve. The end. I gotta say, dude, I'm surprised you uh, watched this whole episode. Why is that? Well, I assume that when we saw the American flag... That you were just going to turn off, because I remember what happened in the Omega Glory. It, uh, okay, all right. And it's, also, it's, I remember <laughs> the name of the episode, the Omega Glory, which almost yeah. never happens. That's, that is really good. Yeah. yeah. You remember it was the Yangs and the Cones? I, I, I do. I remember okay. a lot about that. That's, and, and Abraham Lincoln showed up, and he was riding a dinosaur, uh, and, it, well, and yeah, I think they was, fought He-Man. That, that was... And yeah, I might have fallen asleep halfway through right, the episode. Right. <laughs> um, no, seriously, when they spun it around, and there was, and there was uh, the American flag, I started having flashbacks about having to talk you through the Omega story. So, so, so good on you. And also nice recap, by the way. I don't know. Uh, well, thank you for that. But yeah. here's the thing, though. So the, the, the problem with the Omega glory is kind of like the same problem that I had with, uh, oh. with Miri yeah. or something like that, where we would just show up and just, oh, here it is. It's just well, like wait, wait, America. Wait, wait, wait. People uh, listening to this, if you don't know what we're talking about, it, it's <laughs> long before the hundredth episode, go back the Omega glory Ask for it by name because yeah. we don't need to. We don't need to relitigate that whole. No, no, we don't. That whole thing because one of us would have to go to law school if we're going to litigate at all. Right. Yeah. Right. So the, the thing that I do like about this kind of thing, where you find an old piece of space junk, it, it was like in the neutral zone. Not that old of an episode for us. Yeah. Is that there is sort of a, a, legit, a legitimate tie back to Earth, where you say this thing happened at this time. Mm-hmm. Here are the remains of that thing that happened at that time, as opposed to just well, we show up at a planet and they just happen to be exactly like us for no good reason. And and this right actually building the background as to why that happened and, yes. and where this spaceship went. So I cut him some slack on that. Right. But yeah, I saw the American flag. And I was like, <laughs> hmm, what are, what are we going to do here, really? Yeah. If it yeah. ended with Riker reciting the Constitution, the preamble to the Constitution, that, that, that might have been a little... A little yeah, that might have been a bit much. Yes. Yeah. But it is a good thing. You can just beam up a totally unknown object from space and it's safe. It is a it is a very bad thing. <laughs> no, that's it is a bad thing that you could do that because well, they it, did it. They it was totally did it. Just last week that we caught the contagion, mm-hmm. and that was just downloading something. That wasn't even bringing a thing back on yeah. board. I found myself wondering if they had seen the contagion, or if they had seen unnatural selection. Oh, right, because they just beamed that guy. Yep, up. beam yeah, him on yeah. over, and then we'll wake him up, yeah. and we'll all die. Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, they, they should watch their own episodes. <laughs> they yeah. should. They're on DVD and uh, Netflix, mm-hmm. and sometimes you can catch them on cable. Yeah. I, I never really paid attention before how the computer's on their desk. So, like, we, we go to uh, Picard's ready room, and he's looking at his laptop, which, by the way, is way, way bigger than a laptop would be now. So it's kind of a cross between a laptop and a desktop, and it's very curved. It's got a, an interesting design to it. But it makes a noise when he rotates it from one side of the desk to the other. A, I want that. And and B, I had to wonder if their computers are hydraulic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just make that noise myself when I turn my computer. Oh, cool. Shh. It's like when you walk through a door at a grocery exactly. store and you have to go. Shh. Yeah. Shh. Shh. Exactly. 
Um, some of our other listeners uh, referenced Alice in Wonderland when talking about this episode. And I have to say that that, that is a story that I'm not deeply familiar with. Um, I, I know it. I know it kind of on the surface. But I did recognize the line, curiouser and curiouser. Hmm. That, that sort of stood out because it didn't sound like the thing you would just throw away in a conversation. He was definitely referencing Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, you know so. what's weird? I actually say that in conversation. Really? I really do. I don't All know. Right. It's like one of those things. And it's not trying to be like Picard because I didn't realize he did that. It's more, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think being annoying is why I do it. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I got a question. So, yeah, so okay. they're, out, they're out in space, right? They, mm-hmm. they tend to be. And they come yeah, they to this. Do. They come they to this planet where this thing is, and Jordy and Riker are acting like they're going to catch something from this planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. it's icky, and, uh, and and Riker's like, the sooner we figure out what's going on, the sooner we can get away from here. Like you yeah. know, like the planet's giving them the crud or something. Um, right. I know it's to illustrate how inhospitable it is because you know of course the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to send people down there and so yeah. we, we've got this idea that oh this is a terrible place and now we're going to send people and wow there's a thing there but it really just struck me as very odd i mean in addition to the whole it's below negative zero or below absolute zero excuse me right right and negative zero i think is also impossible but i'm not sure <laughs> it might be don't write to me if i'm wrong about that because yeah. really my interest in it will stop <laughs> with the end of this sentence but I mean, we, so we get the idea that it's a terrible thing and they're going to send them down there. But their whole like, I mean, it, it's like they've been asked to use a bathroom and a bus station. <laughs> right. And right. and they're still on the Enterprise and the planet's still out there. And I can't believe this is the only icky planet they've ever been to. I was also, I also thought we got a little uh, sort of a peek into Picard's psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, Riker calls up and says, there's a revolving door. And, and Picard says, revolving door, number one, proceed with caution. Now... <laughs> I know people who have trouble going through revolving doors, and I thought, uh-huh. you know, I love that he's a starship captain. He's, you know, he's like a really gallant character. I would yeah. love to see him, like, doing that. Uh, uh, is there a side door? Yeah. <laughs> I also <laughs> found myself wondering if he had a, have a problem with escalators, because I know people who have problems with those, too, mm. have mm-hmm. trouble getting on them. So, uh, yeah, don't take Picard to a mall. I guess that's yeah. really what I'm saying. Right. It could have been a different conversation. There's a revolving door. A revolving door. I hope you didn't bring your skis with you because you'll <laughs> never get through. You know? Oh, that's nice. That's, yeah. that's so good. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, that flag that you mentioned earlier, um, yep. it, it is it's kind of a, a neat thing in the episode that they point out that there are 52 stars on the flag, and which you don't really have to know because they give you the date that Colonel Ritchie left, but as you're putting together the story in your head, uh, the 52 stars on the flag indicate to Riker, who, by the way, up until this point, apparently nobody in the Enterprise knows much of Earth history other than Picard having an affinity for France. Um, But he says that we know that that flag was used between 2033 and 2079, Hmm. which I thought was kind of neat. And this expedition left in 2037, um, and I figured we should start taking bets now on which two states get added. So I, I say Puerto Rico and Southern California, All right. uh, because Southern California will split from Northern California. But I also figured that Texas will secede. Mm-hmm. So we'll make room for one more and that'll be Canada. Hmm. Interesting. You yeah. see, I, and now I would, I would debate a couple of those with you. Okay. Um, I don't think Southern California secedes what with the water issue. Mm, I think mm-hmm. I think they they make that noise every now and then, but I think now uh, it yeah. would really just be a bad idea. Uh, and and the other thing is, I believe in the movie Americathon, mm-hmm. which you know, why can I remember that? I can't remember right. what episode of Star Trek we watched last week, but in the movie Americathon, which starred uh, John Ritter as the president of the United States, uh, Meatloaf was in it, and mm-hmm. and there was actually a uh, there was a there was a performance by Elvis Costello in that movie and I believe that they said coming to you from the 52nd state of the union England oh wow so I don't remember if it was 52nd or 53rd but um, you know before this show was written Americathon said it was going to be England so so I think that's where my money is but I don't know what the 51st will be well well, two things I changed my vote then I think (laughs) all of California will just annex we'll just annex Colorado okay so we can get water and then um, they don't border do they 
No, no, okay. but it doesn't matter. We okay. just we, we call dibs, <laughs> All right. and you got it, and you, you pipe in water, and right. that way we make room for Guam. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, so 51 is Puerto Rico, and 52 is up for grabs. Yep. All right. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> and the other comment, by the way, is I never thought that I would hear the names uh, John Ritter, Elvis Costello, and Meatloaf together in a movie that you watched and was not a fever dream. Yeah, it was when I was a kid, too. Dude, wow. seriously. I can't believe I actually named a movie that you don't know anything about. I, I, I have to find it now, clearly. It's, it's, you know, I don't even know. If, I, I have a feeling it's bad, and it might even be racist. But, oh, no. <laughs> well, it's 70-something. We, we weren't nearly as, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the Native Americans in this movie are, they might be not treated as well as they were oh, gosh. All right. in a movie today. But again, I was like seven, so what do I remember? Yeah. Yeah. Add, it, add it to the podcast list. There you um, go. All right. So Mickey D, bad name for a gangster. Yeah. Great name for a heavy in the Royale, though. I mean, a little cheesy. Oh, oh, oh. oh, oh. Excuse me. Oh, Slow troll. clap. See, it's, Slow a, clap. it's a Royale yes. with cheese joke is what I did uh-huh. there. We've, we've all been doing them all week long. So let's just do yep. it publicly and, and get it out of the way. Okay. Uh, Troy has, again, her abilities seem to change from week to week Mm -hmm. and her abilities now allow her to read the emotions of somebody who is very far away. Yeah. In fact, to pinpoint one person on a planet through that horrible atmosphere that they can't even send and receive communications or beam anybody out. I mean, again, she's on a ship with a thousand other people, but she's like, oh yeah, Riker is fine. Well, I mean, the key there is, is it's Riker. I mean, I got two words for you in that. Mm-hmm. M. Zadi. <laughs> okay. Okay. Is that, is that two words? Uh, it, it is now. Okay, good. Good. Um, yeah. I'll go change the cover of that novel over there. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. Um, I, yeah, I kind of thought about that, but then I thought, wow, that's, I, you have to know that if you start a relationship with somebody who is beta Z. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, wow. Good point. Because you, you could have been broken up for a long time. You could be on another planet. And then they're just like, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. She could also just be lying about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, true. It's, if it's a, you know, vindictive X thing, mm-hmm. she'd be like, oh, yeah, I can tell you what Riker's feeling. No, you can't. <laughs> Shut up. You're not even going to tell the truth. <laughs> hey, uh, how do we think that Colonel Ritchie ate for 38 years? Because uh, I wondered if they built a buffet with the <laughs> casino. And, it, it, you know, another entry in his diary is just, oh, God, prime rib and cheesecake again for 5,000 days. That's you awesome. Know? They built a buffet when he got there. So really don't have the lobster after, like, the second year. No, right. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're done with that. Yeah. Well, here's yeah. the thing, though. So I don't know that there's any point in going to this in, into the technology of this. We can just mm-hmm. go ahead and assume something like replicator technology. Right. I mean, they built hats. Yeah, yeah. They built chips. And, and, and it's important they built hats because data nearly walks away with Texas's hat. Right. Right. And he's like, hey, yeah. my hat. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, data actually takes it off and gives it back to them. Um, and they actually do call and see if they want room service. I mean, it's possible that it's sort of like the Beast's castle mm-hmm. in the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. You know, they've had all these non-player characters with with nobody to serve, nobody to nobody to fluff and fold for, nobody to vacuum after, nobody to nobody to feed. I mean, it's possible mm-hmm. the whole place was like comes alive. Yeah. When these guys get there thinking, oh, I'll, I'll make him eggs or you know, <laughs> whatever. I'll do that thing that I was made to do. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, they're like, no. <laughs> kind of let, let's table that for just a second, because I, I, I think there's the, the technology and the understanding as far as the point of view of the aliens is something that we could come back to in the discussion. All right. Because uh, it, it did make me very curious, maybe only for the sake of comedy, but it made <laughs> me very curious. All right. Um, so uh, I, I thought it was interesting that if the Enterprise had sliced through that protective barrier over the hotel, the away team would be instantly frozen. And Pulaski's like, yeah, I, I might be able to revive you. Sure. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Don't worry about Data. No, but, of course not. You know, because he's, he's an android. But Riker, yeah, we might be able to. Yeah. And um, I, I also thought it was interesting that Picard and Troy are sitting at his desk just listening in on the dialogue on the scene playing out on the planet. Mm -hmm. So Picard did say, keep communications open, 
But how strange that you could or would do that, just sit there and listen to this ongoing thing. You know, that dialogue is taking place in another area. Riker is kind of standing back quite a bit, and they're clear as day. So clearly it's like he had miked them to hmm. uh, to do that. And I just thought that, you know, under what circumstances you do that on an away mission where you just say, okay, keep those on, and we're just going to listen to everything you do. <laughs> every mistake that you make, every single thing that you do, we will be hearing this broadcast in the ship, or at least in my room. I could have sworn uh, that we'd actually had that happen before, though. Hmm. Oh, I may, I may be mistaken, but it seems yeah, like yeah. I actually wasn't so surprised by that because it seemed like that was something that we, we had done or, or knew yeah, that we could yeah. do. What do you make of Data really hamming it up while gambling? Because I, I, I thought, why? You know, is this one of the personalities from the colony coming out or did, did Dr. Soong program him? Like, if you are gambling and winning, do this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's, he, he's funny. That's a funny idea. But yeah, you know, because in the effort to make data sort of blend in, mm-hmm. you know, he, we, we've seen him have reactions that you and I can sit here and ask, well, is that data reacting or is that the programmed reaction that Dr. Sung is saying, Here, here's how you do this thing? Wait a minute. Are we actually going to talk about this or are you just or is probably it, not? OK, <laughs> well, then well, then I say we don't worry about it. I mean, because okay. there's a wealth of there, there's actually a wealth of stuff to talk about there, but yeah. I don't think it happens in this segment. Whether it happens yeah. in the next segment or happens at all, I don't know. Here's the thing: Data is such a rich character for this kind of thing. I think we've had this discussion before, and we likely will again. If you're asking why specifically this time, yeah, it's a weird episode. Yeah, I mean that yeah, that yeah. that really, I think, is what it comes down to. It's just a weird episode, and so when he starts doing that, it's just fun, and and I think that's all it was meant to be. And then if we sit here and try to parse out, well, but but why? Then I think somebody wants to hit us on the head. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Well, okay, so let's talk about what happens in that game. Because Data is obviously cheating. Mm-hmm. Or, or at the very least, he is throwing the perfect game. And in the context of the novel, mm-hmm. I would expect security to show up and beat him up. There's no security in the novel. There's well, nothing, you, there's nothing, the, 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 yeah. this is such a, I mean, okay. So for, it, it is a bad novel. I, I get that. Well, we're only interested in the roles that are there. Well, it's yeah. not only that we're only interested in the roles that are there, but the aliens that built this place can only write those, right? The characters on the planet can't deal with anything outside of their assigned roles. Yeah. I assume that's why the gamblers approached by data don't respond with the exception of Texas, because Texas was actually written as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys in the background are written as background, and so they literally can't say anything to him. Um, even when Texas reacts, he only reacts the way he wants to, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he asked Data, why did you screw me on that role? And Data's like, I tried to tell you. <laughs> but <laughs> but Texas is written a certain way, and so he can only say things a certain way. Uh, same goes for the manager. And second, as you pointed out, this novel sucks. So yeah, I mean, well, there, there's I mean, there's no there's no security there because there's no security written in it because that's not what the novel was about. And so yeah, the novel can't be anything but what the novel is. But it is interesting that the the assistant manager, at least when you get to that point, he he looks very concerned about this that they're winning like crazy, right? And, and you would think that just even in the context of the game, people would be like, uh, th- this is not supposed to be happening where somebody this is constantly winning. But if there's no security, there's no security. So I guess you can just keep doing that and people will look at you askance, but you don't have to worry about being kicked out and beat up. The away team cannot find the exit from the casino. While they assume there is something wrong, not being able to find the way out of a casino really just sounds a lot like being at a casino. I found Picard puzzling over Fermat's last theorem uh, interesting. Um, kind of sad now to find out that just a few years after they filmed this, <laughs> a solution came up. I didn't realize that. I even looked it up, but I only looked yeah, up yeah. what it was. I didn't look up, oh, has it been solved? Because I assumed, you know, well, if Captain Picard can't do it, right. nobody can. Um, I will say, uh, with the exception of the part where it's already been solved, it's also a pretty bonk-bonk-on-the-head idea. I mean, it would have been interesting had he said something like uh, 800 years later, and it still puzzles us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That way the audience might have been able to say, wow, as advanced as they are, there are still, you know, wonders to be discovered and things to be unlocked. Instead, they have Picard say, wow, as advanced as we are, there are still wonders to be discovered and things to be unlocked. Um, it's kind of a drag that he says it as opposed to just leaving it there for us, but it's still neat to know. Um, mm. They just, you know, wanted to make sure that we, we got it. You know, like, okay, as, as cool as everything is here, there's still other stuff. There's There's still exploration. There's still things to think about. How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Well, that's interesting. Let's let's talk about that a bit more. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I thought, I, I, and that's like in the prologue, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, that's right on, at the beginning. Honestly, one of the meatiest things I think in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. <laughs> which um, which I'm not yeah. saying anything else about the rest of the episode. I'm just saying, you know, they yeah. they they really hit you with something pretty profound at the very beginning. Um, and it was just it was interesting though that that Picard was like. Look how profound this is. Yeah. As opposed to just sort of like, I'm going to leave this here. Right. I also found it interesting, um, Riker's willingness to follow his gut rather Mm -hmm. than protocol kind of prolonged the away team's danger. Uh, Not unlike Varley going into the neutral zone. (laughs) Data says, we can't get in touch with the Enterprise. We should go now. And, you know, Riker's like, eh, it's cool. Let's hang out. Even though, like, almost simultaneously, Picard's upstairs, upstairs, in the Enterprise going, uh, if they can't talk to us, they really should be trying to get back here. And they haven't yeah. even gotten to that part yet. Now, of course, we need them to not find out that they can't get out in the first act, because if they did, then the whole episode would have been them trying to get out, as opposed to, you know, sort of building up their relationship with how crazy the planet was. Um, yeah. It's just kind of weird that... Uh, that that Riker, who's usually fairly by the book, uh, was was not by the book at all in this one. Data's like, "Hey, dude, there's protocol," and Riker's like, "Eh, but there's drinks." <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look dangerous, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Smell safe. Let's stick around for a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, wait, and you could take that back to the very beginning, though, of when they get down there and see this door. Well, do you legitimately just say, oh, okay, well, it's a door. Clearly, we should go through it, you know? <laughs> um, right. It seems like maybe there's a little more study that needs to be done. Yeah. But, it might uh, have been like yeah. one of those doors in them Harry Potter books where you go through it and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. You don't know. Yes. Yes. And yeah. now we've got power for the door for another 50 years. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, when I mentioned the aliens in the previous segment uh, it, they really did make me think about uh, uh I, I don't know kind of what their what their imperative was what what their plan was and and i kept thinking to myself well okay why did these aliens stop at just one book so it, because there's an interesting thing with that all right so uh, let's picture you've got a bunch of astronauts and they're in their ship and and at least one of them has a book well, the spaceship has other things in it, too. We have to assume it has other written things in it, like, well, instruction manuals, you know, because you, you always have that on on a, a vessel. You have a printed manual of how the ship works mm-hmm. so that if you run into trouble, then then you've got that. They had other things like had the mission patch, which, by the way, was an Apollo um I forget which mission, but it was an Apollo mission patch. Uh, I believe Apollo 17 that they had kind of changed up a little for uh, Richie's uniform. Um, But here's why I kept uh, maybe overthinking this episode. Mm -hmm. That the book to an alien that doesn't speak English and doesn't understand who we are and why we're there and what we're doing. To them, a book is an object that has black markings on white paper. Yeah. Okay. They don't have the context to begin with to even say, well, this word means that and this word means that. And when room service calls, this is why they're calling and this is what they're asking for. You mentioned something about those aliens who have just sort of been waiting for somebody to come along that they can cook eggs for. Oh, not aliens. No, I think they're I think they're automated NPCs. Do you, oh, think, yeah, do you yeah. think the things that were walking around were actually the aliens or were they just like a, were they just like a wind them up like kind of? Were they automatons in a way? Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because I, I went back and forth on that, and, and I kept thinking that there is a, a a living intelligence or some kind of intelligence that created this space, mm-hmm. and I, I would think would have to have been around long enough to observe it or keep it running, 
even if the things that are in there are are either automatons or or other beings from that race. All we know that what data said is that they were not machines and that they didn't emit life signs. Mm-hmm. So, but he's basing those life signs on what we know of human and well, human-like life. Every species that we've come across, Vulcan and Romulan and Klingon and all this. But this could be another thing entirely. It could be like the end of AI where you've got Things that are super advanced robotics that are maybe you can't even tell that they came from the robotics that we understand now. Right. So it, it did give me a lot of uh, sort of mental room to play with to <laughs> wonder who they were and what they were doing. Because if we say that this is just a simulation, that some alien intelligence or group of alien intelligence created and then plugged in and let it go, well, why let it go? Why let it continue and why not check back in on this living being that you put there? Because Mm -hmm. then it is sort of like, you know, a person getting a pet and saying, hey, look, I got a pet. I'm just going to leave it in the cage and walk away from the cage and keep walking. Right. You know, here's well, okay. here's the thing. We Mm -hmm. only have Richie's summation in his diary. Mm hmm that says that this was actually intentionally created as sort of penance, like to make it up to Richie for having killed all his friends and, and brought him to this hostile world, right? Right. The only the only relationship worth considering in this episode, it seems to me, is the one between uh, Colonel Richie and whatever it is that picked him up. He yeah. assumes that, you know, the alien whatever built this place to be nice to him or out of a sense of guilt, but it seems to me that it was just as, just as possible that maybe this is the last thing that Richie was reading when the alien thing happened. Maybe this was mm-hmm. the most prevalent thing in his mind through some kind of accident because he thinks it's a cut-rate novel, but he knows the novel, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know if he knows the novel because he read it once he got there to figure out what was happening to him or if it was like a, you know, the crappy novel that he took to, you know, to take his mind off of the, the harsh void that is space. Or maybe they built the Royal Hotel like a zoo. I mean, and, and let, me, mm-hmm. let, me, let me back up to something you said a minute ago. You don't know if you're overthinking this episode. To think about this episode is to overthink this episode. There are two ways to do this episode, I think. You can either think about it or you can have fun with it. Right, right. And right. so if you're going to think about it, then you're going to overthink it. Because otherwise, you're going to hate it. <laughs> right. <laughs> if, right. I mean, if you're looking for... And we'll get to whether it holds up and all that stuff in a bit. But if you're looking for, I mean, if you're looking for things to think about, you either have to overthink it or you have to hate the episode. And uh, mm-hmm. at least that's my feeling. It, it actually, it made me think of your take on the uh, contagion last week. Mm. You had this whole list of, 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 of episodes that contagion reminded you of and other mm-hmm. science fiction things as well. Mm-hmm. This episode and, and, and all of those escaped me, by the way. When you made your okay. list, when you made your list last week, I was like, "Oh yeah, I could see that. Oh, I could see that. Oh, I could see that." But Contagion didn't make me think of anything but Contagion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a bad technical support call. Um, <laughs> this episode, two things came to mind: a, a piece of the action, of course, and right. and exactly why I can't say except that they come to this alien world, and yet here's this gambling thing. Sadly, I didn't see a Fizbin table there, but no, too bad. Might have been neat. Um, Metamorphosis was the other one that it made me think of. So maybe mm-hmm. this alien was actually built this stuff to take care of this guy. It seems just as possible, though, that this is... I mean, this could almost even be like some sort of... Huh, I don't want to... Not natural, obviously. Not natural the way we think of it. But remember in Jurassic Park when, when the guy who played Newman... Newman. Newman. When the guy who played yeah. Newman got you know bitten by the uh, by the little dinosaurs and so mm-hmm. he entered sort of this might have actually been in the book i'm not sure this was in the movie got bitten by all these little dinosaurs and he felt this sort of feeling of euphoria as they were killing him mm. it's and it was something that was natural to these animals where their bite uh, really sort of not exactly a not exactly an anesthetic but basically like an opiate mm-hmm. their bite released something into their bloodstream that made them feel okay about the fact that they were being torn apart we don't know what did this to Richie. We don't know why what did this to Richie did this to Richie. We don't even know that anything did this to Richie. It might have just been something that happened to him. Yeah. Now, where it gets weirder, and what makes me think that this was not about being nice to Colonel Richie, is he's dead. He's been dead for 283 years. It's possible, right. like you say, that they just set up a terrarium for him and left him and assumed that he would be fine. Um, 
they've been as nice to him as they can be, though. There's no more being nice to him for the past 283 years, if that's what this was. So then the question is, does this happen forever and ever? Does this just start when Riker and crew arrive and then stop when they leave? Does it replay the next time somebody else comes there? And I think the most important question, did they put up cones around this planet before they (laughs) left? Because somebody's going to get stuck there without being able to figure out, especially because Riker has now taken the book out of the room thrown it down on the craps table, who knows where these characters are going to take it? Assuming yeah. that they're actually physical things that exist. Maybe they'll be curious about, this book is about us. <laughs> and the next well, people may not even ever be able to uh, solve their way out of it. What if you give them another book? I mean, that, that's kind of where I was uh, headed with okay, the but idea. Give who another book, though? Because it's only the characters in the book that are there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and and then that raises the question, which uh, you're right. We're, we're probably thinking about it way too hard. Or at least I am. Well, you can't but, not. But go yeah. ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but the, the intention of that that first intelligence said, "Wow, we just killed these creatures." So. I'm giving these aliens, I'm cutting them more slack in the department of, of, you know, compassion and intelligence and understanding than, say, like uh, a a critter at the end of season one that crawls its way into a Starfleet officer and just says, I'm taking over the universe. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that little critter is just a thing that is living out its evolutionary prerogative to keep making more little critters and take over host bodies wherever it can. This is something that recognizes a level of abstract thinking and recognizes the idea of I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Now I have to atone for that. And I'm going to go to great lengths to do that, or, or at least use some kind of technology to do that. Mm. Um, so but, it, but, it made me wonder then if it was just an experiment or if it was a, a, a thing to help this guy, well, then what's the next step to help this guy? The next step to help this guy is to not make him write that sad diary entry where he says, I hope for death because I'm stuck, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That's that's why I wonder if this wasn't just something that happened, because if the aliens were really being nice, you would think they would find a way to communicate with him and then ask him, so what can we do for you? As yeah. opposed to just deciding, oh, here's what we can do for you. You know, yeah. because then he can't even pick up the phone and say, I'd, I'd really rather you did something else because they'll just say, do you want food? Or, you and know, see, whatever maybe, it is they're going to say. And think about how terrible that would be if in the novel, mm-hmm. okay, all that scene is, is literally somebody calling up and saying, would you like room service? And then the character in the book says no and hangs up. Well, what if Richie really wanted room service? And they said, yeah, I want this and this and please bring it to my room. And then on the other end of the line, they're just like, I don't know what that is because the answer I'm supposed to get is no. Ah, man. You know what sucks? Mm-hmm. We really have thought about this far too much. Look, too room, the, the room service character calls up and asks, do you want room service? It is then prepared to act on that answer as long as the answer is about food. If if Worf had said, no, I don't want room service. I want to speak to the manager. It would have gotten the can- He would have gotten the canned response. I'm sorry. The manager is very busy. Yeah. Room service is prepared to deal with room service. Tax is prepared to deal with whoever's sitting at the table with them. The hotel manager is prepared to deal with stuff that goes on that a hotel manager would take care of to a certain point. It makes sense to the hotel manager that there would be an actual manager. I'm sorry, the front desk guy. Makes sense that there would be an actual manager. And they may have mentioned the manager in one throwaway paragraph of this throwaway novel. Uh, The manager, always too busy to take care of the problems that I have to take care of as the hotel desk, whatever, monkey person. Right? And so then we've established, okay, well, there's a manager, so we know about that too. My God, we've thought about this far too much. (laughs) But that's that's exactly what I'm saying, though, is that if... If in the novel, yes. we know that you get the call from room service, uh, right, then poor poor Colonel Ritchie, probably every night at 9 o'clock, yes. he knows that phone is going to ring. Baked Alaska. He's going to answer Baked Alaska, dude. I mean, he's going to answer but whatever if, he wants because room service Alaska, is there to give it to him. But if Baked Alaska isn't in the book uh, and he says, like, yeah, I want uh, I, I want a, uh, a chimichanga this time, <laughs> you know, whatever, then – that's they're not going to know how to answer that. It, may and it actually, becomes okay. this horrible, horrible exercise, which is already horrible anyway. Well, it, okay. In fairness, he does know how to behave like a civilized person. They sure. have a menu, right? You order off the menu. I mean, you don't order off the menu. You order from the menu. And that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what they're prepared to deal with. And yes, you're right. He may 
Baked Alaska may not be on there. And he may be sad that he never gets to have Baked Alaska again. But oh, look what they do. They have a great cheeseburger here. Have you ever had it? Yes, I've been here for 38 <laughs> years. I've had the cheeseburger. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so this this sounds like a, a terrible fate. And it was a terrible fate. And uh, it, he is trapped in a novel or or maybe maybe one might say the gilded cage. And that's where I thought about the cage. Hmm. And and it, it's funny that what Tracy Torme originally wanted to do at the end of this story, and this is why I saved it for here. Richie would have been kept alive, at least in the sense that the aliens were keeping an avatar of him alive, kind of like the dead crew members of the Columbia. Mm-hmm. So everything that they had learned from him in that time, uh, from when they first encountered him to the time that he died. And at the end of the episode, a female crew member from the Enterprise away team who was killed would have also been kept alive by the aliens to remain in that simulation with him. You know what they should have done? They should have just uh, they should have beamed uh, Moriarty down. Oh, there you go. Well, no, that would be bad for Moriarty. But if if Colonel Ritchie were still alive, except maybe Colonel Ritchie would like a woman and come to think of it, maybe so yeah. would Moriarty. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really interesting idea because then you go yeah. back to the wow, that's that's actually a mind blowing idea because if 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 they have kept Ritchie's consciousness alive, even though his body is not still alive, that is hell. Yeah, that is hell at that point because you cannot not like you never get out, but it's eternal. Yeah. Now, if somebody else dies and maybe you recreate that person, that's great if you happen to be lucky enough to be Pike and Vina in um, in the Menagerie. If you happen to be less lucky, like, say, the people from No Exit, (laughs) 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 you really haven't solved any problem. In fact, you've just created a wealth more. Time now to find the messages, morals, and meanings in the Royale. Then later, we are all going snipe hunting. I am blown away by having to ask this question. I am blown away by having to ask this question, and I'm blown away by the possible answers, because I haven't read yours. Okay. Uh, It's time now to do the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode, and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up. And we'll start with that, John. Uh, the Royale. Does the Royale hold up? Um, I, I wanted to love this episode. Mm-hmm. We, we, like you said, we got so much mail and comments and people saying like, oh, this is such a, a, a sort of a guilty pleasure or I loved that one. It was so much fun, blah, blah, blah. And, and I wanted to love it. Um, I, I really did because it, it kind of had this feel of a Twilight Zone premise. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's exactly the problem is that it should have been a half an hour long. And in black and white and done on the Twilight Zone and not here. Um, maybe this would have been much more of the mind effery, mind bleepery, mm-hmm. if we had gotten the original ending and mm-hmm. and more of those surreal elements that Tracy Torme was going for. And it seems like instead we just have, all right, here's a weird place. We need to get out of the place. So we do. Done. Mm-hmm. Um uh, one other disappointment, and I realized that they were doing the best with what they had, is that I felt like the look was all wrong because it looked like this early 80s casino and not something ripped out of a pulp novel. Like even if the time frame, because uh, a text says that he has a 91 caddy. Right. So we know that the time period of this is sometime after 91. Right. Which is fine. But we're made to believe that this is a pulp novel. So even if it's modern, it, it's modern noir, it's modern dark, but whatever that that's just a minor, minor quibble. And that's, that that's me playing the post hoc set director, you know, mm-hmm. what, whatever. Um, there are elements about this that I really like. Mm-hmm. I, I like the, the premise and I like the idea that we could have had something on the level of the cage where we get to, we get to ask ourselves, well, is it better to be alive in this simulation or living some other kind of hell or be dead? That would have been profound to look at. Um, but we don't get that. We just got problem, solve the problem, go away. There are fun scenes like Data playing at the craps table, mm-hmm. but ultimately it doesn't hold up. 
And, and I, I kind of hesitate when I say that because I keep looking for all the things that I like in it, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't add up. It just doesn't. I'm afraid not. What about you, my friend? I almost don't want to answer this question this week, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, we have been taking the task in the past by listeners for not just having fun with an episode, but mm-hmm. but our gig, what we are mm-hmm. supposed to do is find messages, morals, and meanings in an episode, right? And sometimes those are messages that were put there intentionally, and sometimes, you know, uh, they're things that we think might have been fine back in the day. Sexism is the thing that I'm thinking of in particular that will often torpedo an episode that you otherwise might be willing to have fun with. And I'm thinking specifically of iMud. Mm. Um, a lot of people wrote in, and I had two problems with iMud. The fact that, you know, we couldn't contemplate or Kirk couldn't contemplate an idea of a society where everybody wasn't slogging and working. And that's a repeated theme throughout, right? you know, the whole original series um, with Kirk especially. And then the other thing was um, that, that Mud's wife was a battle axe, that she was a yeah. harpy, and she was all these awful things that were like, you know, sort of 50s, 60s sitcom tropes, you know, for, for, your, for your wife. Yeah. And, and I didn't like either of those things. Personally, they bothered me so much that I couldn't just have fun uh, with I'm Mud. And that really annoyed a lot of people. A lot of people thought that this is just a fun episode and that and you took it so seriously and da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to tear into me. This is an episode with which I think one can just have fun. And I based that on the fact that nothing about this episode offended me. <laughs> there was nothing in this episode that I was like, oh, oh, really? Yeah. There was no code of honor moment. There was no, you know, there was no I mud moment to the whole thing. The problem is that's not the way we watch this. Like I said before, to think about this episode is to overthink this episode. Um, we've heard from a lot of people who say that this is one of their favorite episodes of season two because everyone seems to just be having fun. So I'd say if you're not looking for depth, if you're not looking for message, if you're not looking for moral, if you're not watching this show the way we do because we're we're like terriers, we're supposed to try to find. <laughs> you ever had a terrier like know for certain there's something someplace, but there's actually not something there, and they, they right. drive themselves nuts. <laughs> that that is how we are set upon every episode of Star Trek, and, <laughs> sure. and there's nothing there for this episode. Well, I shouldn't say there's nothing because I think there is a message or two, but um, this is a fun episode. Um, yeah. It's really fun to see Spiner have fun. It's always fun to see him have fun. It's fun to see Riker have fun in this episode. I mean, it, it's the, the actors are having fun. You can go into a whole philosophical thing about, well, is, is, is Data having fun? And I don't think, I think we decided we're not going to do that today. But right. the actors are definitely having a great time. I mean, they're, right. they're hamming it in some scenes, especially at the craft table. So, yeah. It holds up for what it, I mean, literally for what this particular episode is, yes, it holds up because this episode is, is toss aside. Nothing is going to stick from this episode, but that's okay because nothing is supposed to. And it's not trying to say an important thing, I think. And because it's not trying to say anything important, it doesn't fail. It succeeds at not doing anything important. Yes. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, I mean, every now and then you're going to have those episodes. I mean, there were, there are episodes of important shows that do that. You know, and I think we both agree that Star Trek is an important show. The, the mm-hmm. good news is they weren't trying to do something. Now, if they had gone with Tormé's original thing, then you may have had, honestly, one of the most groundbreaking episodes. But uh, since they didn't do that, then you just got you got a few characters having fun and you can have fun with it, I think. But in that case, is it just a holodeck episode? Except you know, it doesn't take place on the holodeck. Except yeah. it doesn't take place on the holodeck. Oh, it, the thing's broken and we're in this weird place. We got to get out. That would have been terrible. At that yeah. point, you have to start questioning how much they're going to rely on the holodeck this this soon in. Right. So I was glad. Yeah, I was surprised actually to find out that it wasn't a holodeck episode. I'm pretty sure I've seen every episode of Next Gen, but I can't say for certain that I have. There are certainly plenty of episodes that I don't remember since I saw them. And so when I was looking at some of the stills from this episode, I thought, oh, it's a holodeck episode. Oh, turns out it's not. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, it makes next to no sense that it's not a holodeck <laughs> episode. But had it been another the holodeck's broken episode, uh, you know, too soon after all the other holodeck's broken episodes, I think. I, I know there will be more, but yeah. had it happened right now, I think I would have been bummed. All right. Well, I, I think that's a good way to um, I think it's a good way to save ourselves from hopefully people who don't get that 
we are also having fun with this, you know, because it's something like I Mud, I, I think you make a very good point about why a show like that was. Yeah, it, it's fun. There are fun things in it. But then there are also those things that take you out of it and, mm-hmm. and prevent you from sort of endorsing it as just a purely fun romp. This show is just like, yeah, they they do things. And then at the end, they're done doing those things and we move on. Except for you in, in this case, as is often the case with you, by the way, um, yeah. art direction really yeah. took you out of yeah, it. Yeah, art direction is just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. well, I mean, we, we finally, we haven't seen that wallpaper on the Enterprise. Yeah, again, that's true. Recently, but yeah. There, there was some, yeah. It, it, I, I know they had budgetary issues and they, they couldn't do exactly what they wanted to do. And I, I get all of that, but. Yeah, you, you know, when you when I picture a pulp novel and I'm thinking about this noir, even if it's modern set in that place, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of something very different. But yeah. that's OK. I'm not that's thinking okay. pulp with this, though. I'm thinking hotel. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why I think, you know, the Royale or Hotel Royale. I'm thinking like that, you know, that series hotel that was based on that novel hotel, which is not exactly pulp. When you say pulp, I'm thinking uh, Dashiell Hammett. I'm thinking, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. or the spider. I mean, depending on which which end of that you want to go, and the pulp uh, pulp stuff is is very throwaway. This was a thick novel. This was a grocery store novel. This was, you know, not quite a uh, Harlequin romance. Yeah, certainly. But this was, um, you know, this was cheap bestseller, which is which is I think like a half a step a step above pulp, and that's why I'm willing to forgive all the art direction because this this was Connie Selica and um, and what's his name. <laughs> James Brolin. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. So uh, is there anything to learn here? You said that there might have been some uh, some messages. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple. I mean, again, since it's our job to try to find them. Um, mm-hmm. Going back to Picard's rumination on uh, the theorem, the fact is uh, as advanced as we get or as advanced as we think we are, that there are always puzzles over which to puzzles, puzzle rather, always you know more stuff to look into and explore. Um, that was, I mean, it, like I said earlier, it's it's bonk bonk on the head, but they go ahead and present that immediately. I, I would put that in the gem bag, honestly. You know, it's like, oh, that's a neat little thing that has nothing to do with anything, but I love the fact that it's almost like the thing at the end of G.I. Joe, except this week it was the beginning, you know? Like, right. no matter how smart you think you are, there's always more stuff to learn. Yeah. I'm Jean-Luc Picard. You know, <laughs> like the more you know, or the more yeah. you think you know, but you don't really, because there's always more. Ooh, um, the other, I mean, forced to find another lesson in it, I would say the only thing I could think of is sometimes the only way around it is through it. Mm. There's not a shortcut here. There's no escape here. They have to figure out what the rules are and then they have to play the game to the end. Had they found out halfway through the original series episode that they had to play the game, Kirk would have spent the second half of the episode trying to figure out how to buck the rules. He right. he would not want anybody to say, this is how you have to be because nobody's going to tell James T. Kirk how he has to be. Right. Right. So he would have spent the rest of the time figuring out how to bust his way out of it. (laughs) Riker, on the other hand, is like, oh, so if I just if I if I walk here, hit my mark, say my line, I can go. All right, everybody, here's our parts. Let's play. So, I mean, that that was that was actually kind of an interesting thing, too. It's like as neat as it might be to be a rugged individual, as neat as it might be to fight the system. uh, Or you could also just stand in line, wait your turn and get out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which which may be a stretch, but again, yeah, I'm a, I'm a terrier with this man. I'm a terrier. <laughs> I think I got kind of the same things that you did. I, I liked Picard's intrigue with the unsolvable equation mm-hmm. because it is okay to not know. Um, the The trick is to keep trying to figure out how to know, to keep trying to figure out if there is a resolution that is satisfactory instead of just stopping and going like, well, it's unknowable, so I'll just move along. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I, I also got the thing about playing along. Like you, you maybe can beat the system if you just play along. If you go by those rules, then maybe this is the more clever way out. Um, I also thought that it, it kind of goes back to a piece of the action, um, that you can't judge a culture by one book. Now, what's interesting is that in a piece of the action, I think you could take that episode and say something about faith and say something about this dedication. I mean, they worship that book, uh, Chicago mobsters of the twenties mm-hmm. and, and built their life. That was their religion was building their lives around that book. 
this was very different because it wasn't anything quite as twisted at that. It, it was maybe this benevolent alien intelligence just saying, we did wrong. Here's all we have to go on. So we will create this to protect this being that we would have otherwise done wrong with as well. Um, so it's not quite as uh, as meaty maybe to go on. But what they get is an incomplete picture. Mm-hmm. So um, if only they had stuck around long enough to talk to the guy <laughs> or learn a little more um, or pick up some other books other than just that one. See, that's what makes me think that it was just a thing that happened. Yeah. That it was all automatic because it yeah. does end up being much worse for him than, than any kind of alien benevolence would have been, I think. Mm-hmm. All right, but, you know, we, we said that earlier, so I don't need to go back into it, I suppose. Uh, do the messages that we talked about hold up? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Even if they're not meaty, they, they hold up, you know. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, maybe if Tracy Torme was being a little more subtle and sly with his original script, um, maybe some of that that made it into this, the, the satire of customer service, like you can take it up with the manager. The manager is very busy, <laughs> you know, yeah. these things, this kind of endless loop. Like there could have been more fun stuff like that, that that is uh, definitely recognizable to a modern audience watching. Um, so, yeah, the, the messages that are there, they hold up. This is not a message episode, though. No, no, it's not. But uh, but it's fun. It is fun. Yeah, it, it is, is fun. fun. You know what else is fun? What's that? All the amazing stuff that uh, that, that uh, Roddenberry Entertainment is into. I mean, there yeah. are things like, uh, for example, Mission Log is produced mm-hmm. by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find out more about their fine work at Roddenberry.com. Uh, lots of cool stuff at Roddenberry.com, by the way. Not just us. Um, uh, what, like 1701, what is it? 1701 oh, News. 1701 News, yeah. yeah 1701 yeah. News is there. And, of course, there's uh, a link over to the uh, Roddenberry Foundation and the good work they're doing. All kinds of stuff, so... Definitely worth checking out Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM online. Trek, that's online at, you know what I mean. Trek.FM is what you type in in that little place. Uh, for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. And surprisingly enough, that is also online. Hey, Ken, uh, next week, these two terriers are just going to sink their teeth and into just like a, it'll be like a pig ear that we get to tear apart and go after. And we'll call it Times Squared. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I'm sorry that Rita never showed up. She sounded like quite a gal. And Transmission. <laughs>